0: Good morning church and what a great day to be together we are taking a short break um, once a quarter take a break from our study and our walk through Romans uh, and today uh, we're going to take about a four week break and focus on family a little bit we're going to walk through Moses's story today we will be in Exodus 1 if you want to go ahead and turn there for it and kind of get into those things schools going back Um, These these next four weeks, new transitions are happening. If you're a part of uh, our church family, uh, today is Connor's last Sunday to be leading worship uh, for us and working with us here. Uh, As he goes off to college after lunch today, uh, he's heading off. And the crazy, incredible good news is next Sunday is Affirmation Sunday where Tyler Antcliffe and his family will be joining us uh, as we believe that God has called them strongly. Uh, to lead and be a part of our church family in the area of worship ministry. So it's a it's a sweet time uh, I, I don't know. It's so funny. I told scott when I was walking through this series Um recently kind of refreshing my memory about a year ago is when I scribbled these passages down about this time of year and that kind of thing and I said at first I was like lord I have no idea what I drank that day to make me not know what i'm talking about right i'm thinking something was not good with the diet soda or coca-cola zero was not perfect yet i'm not sure but as we walk through it i I started just leaning into it more in prayer and and really just getting excited about the truth of god's word and here's the beauty of where we're going to be today in exodus chapter one i want to be just really clear with it um what we're going to talk about today applies in leadership and decision making outside of families but I'm gonna, for the sake of context and clarity, we're gonna talk about it in the context of family leadership. So here's the great thing: you might say, "Well, Pastor, I'm single. This sermon is still for you. God's word is still for you today, right?" You may say, "I'm an empty nester. I'm about 49 minutes away from that, right?" It's passages for you too, right? I know, right? Thank you, Mom, for that. I needed that today. We, we're kind of walking through these these places. And so as we walk through this passage of Scripture, I want you to listen to what God has in store. Listen to what He's got uh, saying for us. Because the reality is, um, in Exodus chapter 1, the passage is before Moses is born. So we're going to start talking and learning about Moses and his story from before he was ever born. Born before he was a thought in his mother's mind. That's the the context of Exodus chapter one. And here's the reality: is is it's not just your decisions that impact your family, is it? It's not. I I remember it can be a little nostalgia day for us. We we moved to to Friendswood um, from the north side of Houston, and um, everybody's kind of got their own deal on that connor was in fourth grade going into fifth grade we were living in townhouses at the time uh and and he had a a phone it was a dumb phone right you it would flip he dialed the number we knew where it came through we have it and so he gets on the bus and and no kidding he comes on he's like mom and dad i need a new phone like what in the world it's like everybody has smartphones and they're making fun of me and Dad's, like, I'm like making fun of him. Come on, let's bring it. Child abuse. Here we go. What doesn't matter? Like, protect your son. I didn't do anything in case the police are watching. But you know, you know that urgency. You know that feeling. Like, how dare you, fifth grade? Who? I mean, you probably still have a lot of bad habits in your life. Like, how dare you do this? Who are you? And so, like, we, we're trying to figure out what to do as parents, and we kind of let it go, but it kept happening. And so we bought him a slider phone because we weren't ready for smart in fourth grade, right? And so we bought him a slider phone thinking, okay, it's an upgrade. And in our family, that was huge. Y'all, I, I mean, I got a smartphone like a month and a half before we moved to, to Pearland. So that a fifth grader has one, we're going to have a parenting class later on. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. And so I was like, okay, this will do it. Like, this is, this is all right. I'm not giving in not giving in but it's it's an upgrade you know what that slider phone did nothing like it kept on coming so i did what every good parent did chris and i made a decision like you're just not gonna ride the bus for a while we got you <laughs> have you been there have you been there like i'm telling you we're figuring out parenting as it goes i mean eventually we put him back on the bus you know we taught him some tricks and just whatnot. But but we just we just figure in this thing out because what we've learned is it's not just our decisions that impact our family. It's other people who are nuts or evil or sinful. I mean, Lord of mercy, today, I mean, I'm a food allergy family. Like you could have a conflict and not even know it. You invite this church family over, and they're like a, I don't even know the letters, but the non-GMO artificial, everything's wonderful family, and you're like, if it's not in hot dog form, we don't eat it. Like, you could cause a conflict. You know what I'm saying? Like, we just, there's so many decisions that are outside of us. How do we lead our families in such a way, in such an environment, in such a season? Because I want you to know, The world and society is begging you to follow its lead. I mean, it's not just begging, it's threatening you to follow its lead. So how do we do that? I want you to know two things. One, we are going to follow the text and the text alone. But the context of this sermon is a dad who is just about to be an empty nester we have learned a lot we have failed many times we've had extraordinary successes and we are proud of the imperfect godly family that he's allowed us to be a part of that's just the context for today is that good roman or excuse me exodus chapter one exodus chapter one verse eight and verse eight alone now, there arose a new, a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. There arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now, this is really important. Here, here, here's the key. is because this creates the context for the world that Moses' parents would raise him in, okay? This creates the context for the world that Moses would come up in, right? Joseph, if, if, if this is your first time with us in church today, or, or maybe this is all new and God just led you in the day, Joseph in the book of Genesis, which comes right before Exodus, Joseph um, was brought in through a a wild, incredible story, and became as a as a godly people, as the Jewish people, this wise advisor in many ways, the savior of Egypt. I mean, they were looked down on Egypt as a mighty nation. The king's having dreams, famine's about to come, years of plenty, how to manage that matters. And Joseph, a foreigner, like it's his life that really God uses to bless Egypt, to make a place for his people to thrive and to flourish. Like Joseph is second only to Pharaoh when he is at his peak. But what verse 8 says is that there arose a new king over Egypt, and he did not know Joseph. Now, there's a lot of theories on why or who this new Pharaoh was that comes into this reality. And for our purposes, I want you to know it doesn't matter. Because what matters is he didn't know Joseph. And the word know or did not know in the negative is yada, okay? And, and yada means to know well, right? To know close, to know intimately. Here's what the Bible says. that Moses, the world he was about to come into, had a king who didn't care who Joseph was. He didn't care what God had done for their country in the past. He didn't care who it came through. He didn't care about this foreigner. It doesn't mean he wasn't aware of who he was. That may or not be true. But, But he didn't care. He didn't care if you followed him, his ways, you were going to be a blessing. He didn't care about what your superstition was. He didn't care about God's people. And he didn't care to know about God's people. This is the environment that Moses' mom would have to parent in. See, this is really important for us. Because I think there are times we talk about godly leadership or family, but we get frustrated at the way the world perceives or receives biblical godly leadership in the home. Like, how could they say that? How could they think that? How could they believe that? I mean it's so strong right now churches all across america are doing their very best to compromise to satisfy this worldly critique criticism because the church is in decline in america and we want our children to grow up surrounded by people who are running hard after jesus so we compromise here so that we hopefully will help them perceive us better and receive us better so that they can know the incredibleness of our God. Hey, church, let me, let me tell you just really clearly, our job, our role, has never been to tell the world that following the Lord leads to some great moralism or this great moral earthly society that imitates heaven on earth morality as the means or the reason for which we tell people about jesus for for the reason that we want them to accept godly leadership in their home or modeling godly parenting modeling godly godly husband and wife loving If your foundation is to teach that our way is morally good and even if they reject God, follow what we do and see the moral foundation. If that's your goal, stop. Because what you're doing is you're compromising the deity, God Almighty, for a currency the world deals in. When you and I compromise God for simply the moral teachings of God to make a difference in our world, you've already crossed a line into failure. It's not about making every day Friday. It's not about making everybody accept how awesome Christianity is for your family. It is awesome for your family. It's not about telling everybody how wonderful God is church The world, sin, it doesn't care. The Bible says this, James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. They are aware of God, but they don't care. They have fallen and embraced their fallenness. The story of of the seven sons of Sceba in Acts chapter 19. They're going around trying to use the power of God in a worldly way where people receive them and accept them. What happens? The demon said, we know who Jesus is. We've heard about Paul, but we don't know, we don't even care who you are. And they suffer this massive defeat. Church, you and I need to know, we live in a fallen world. And if your goal in parenting your children, in leading your home, in loving your spouse, if your goal is positive, temporary peace, that is not biblical leadership. It it can't be it our motivation can't match it can't attempt to win favor with the fallen people but our motivation matters and that's what exodus chapter one gives us a picture of it teaches us by way of a real life story so if you're a note taker this won't be on the screen but i want you to know this that I, what fuels the decisions we make in our family is fear What fuels decisions we make The motivation that we have is fear Before you check out, there are different types of fear There is healthy God-centered fear And there is unhealthy man-centered fear Okay, And that's what we're going to talk about today I do not want you to think That fear has nothing to do with your family I'm telling you, fear has everything to do With your leadership of your home Everything And man-centered fear Will be catastrophic For your family If you lead your family, if you raise your children with a man-centered fear, your intentions may be good, but the outcome will still be destruction. That's just what will happen. And we get to see that in this amazing picture of Exodus chapter 1. Read with me verse 8 through verse 10. This is what the Bible says. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Church, this is a beautiful thing. What Pharaoh says here is full of fear. I mean, I'm reading it with a happy voice because I want you to pay attention. But I'm telling you, it wasn't spoken that way. Because if I walked into your house and the world seemed like it wasn't right, I said, listen, there's something threatening your wife and your children on your doorstep. The baby you hold, they may have no place to call home. Now's the time to be wise if you're not wise let me tell you what could happen let me tell you what might happen what that man centered leadership does is it says you should be afraid You, you should be scared to death it should make you angry it should make your blood boil it should make all of that stuff rise up in you behold trust me in this church this language has worked since the beginning of the time and it will still work today it's witch hunt language stir up the troops make them be afraid of something in this world and you'll have the hearts of a thousand people who have no idea what they're fighting for or against This is why Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, Be sober-minded and alert. The enemy, the devil, is like a prowling lion waiting to devour your children. He says, I'm not telling you that the enemy is not out there, but I'm telling you to have a clear mind with the Lord and be alert for what he is telling you. You can't surrender to the enemy's tactics and expect a victory. Here's where man-centered fear decision making starts. Its thoughts are preventative. Its thoughts are preventative. I mean, I I want you to listen again to Pharaoh. I want you to hear his his prevention mindset and all of this. It's pretty amazing. First of all, he, he says, first of all, behold, it's us and them. And so that being the case, they're many and they're mighty verse 10 let us deal shrewdly with them lest it could happen they multiply and if it might happen war breaks out and then never know they could join our enemies and fight against us and escape the land he didn't say it friendly like i just did you follow me He has riled up the people. What he has gotten is there is an unknown evil. I am aware. I can see these things. I don't fully understand it, and so I need to act now. He says, "I want to act shrewd, wise." See, the world says that preventative, unknown, uneducated, unsteeped in God's word, making your judgment about what you've seen their kid do, that person do, their all these things all these things on your horizon says look at all of those things the possibilities are endless of how this could wreck your daughter wreck your son wreck your marriage you don't even know what it's at you don't even know what it's for so start making plans now it's wise because there's a possibility that maybe maybe possibly couldly just in case what if they multiply what if they grow what if they choose another side against us? And the Bible, my Bible says escape. The word is bigger than that. It means what if they overcome us, take our stuff, and leave? Now, if you know the story of Exodus, you're like, hmm, that kind of does happen. kind of does. And I, I would put all of my money because of the man-centered, ungodly leadership that Pharaoh led his people to lead their families in acting and thinking. If you and I work to prevent, get them before they get us, act now before it's too late, then I want to let you know you're thinking not in a God-centered way, but in a man-centered way when it comes to leading your family. Here's the amazing part. Even a lot of Christian homes would say preventative parenting, preventative... This, this is a good thing. If we use the word in a different context, possibly. But if you're preventing and always thinking of, I need to protect here. I need to prevent this. I don't want ever that to happen. I don't want that to happen. What you're doing is, you're trying to take the place of God in your family's life. And you should be afraid of everything in the world because the prince of this world is the enemy who prowls around like a warring lion waiting to devour you but church we are not of those people and in christ this mindset of parenting out of fear of what could happen what might happen where they might go what they may do what could turn into this if they were to do that if that's your way i want to let you know that's not even biblical What Jesus says is, before you make a decision, the words of Christ, red letters, count the cost. Know what it's going to take. Know what's involved. Understand the plan God has for you. Understand the path that he has for you. And understand the way you must act. If you listen to the words of Jesus, he says, trust me. He says, follow me. He says, seek me first. In, In nowhere in scripture do you hear Jesus say use your best judgment call the shot without me you need to be afraid and do everything that you can to protect the bad from happening it's not there because when you and i are focused on preventing the evil of the world from impacting our family where are you not focused jesus exodus chapter 14 do you know who will fight for you you just be still the lord do you know when someone comes against you and you want to take vengeance do you know who vengeance belongs to the lord right do you know when people were trying to keep the children away from jesus who said let the little children come to me the lord jesus in in example after example after example if you and i parent with preventative thoughts and we are focused on the world and the fear and what could possibly happen i want to let you know that's not just unbiblical it's anti-biblical parenting from the words of christ matthew chapter 10 verse 28 do not fear those who will kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I know the fears of a parent and a husband. I've seen the fears of a wife. In a few minutes, both of our children will live the majority of their days outside of the roof of my home and the protective daily leadership that I've tried to give them in Christ Jesus and sometimes out of Christ Jesus. If preventative parenting, not God-centered, but man-centered fear parenting is there, then let me tell you how my children and your children and your spouse will receive your actions. Provocatively. Because preventative thinking as a spouse, as a husband, isn't focused on God. We'll talk about the good in a minute. And because it's focused on sin, our actions are normally provocative. They normally actually provoke either opening a new door for the enemy or making what we're most afraid of happen. Look at verse 11 through 22 in your Bible. We're going to read this whole passage together. I want you to listen for the ways that Pharaoh, in a man-centered fear, trying to prevent something from happening, how do his actions actually provoke the situation? Verse 11. Therefore, that means in light of all of this, therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens they built for pharaoh stores and cities of pithom and ramses but the more they were oppressed the more they multiplied the more they were spread abroad the egyptians were in dread of the people of israel verse 13 so ruthlessly they they ruthlessly made people of israel work as slaves and they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field and all the work they were ruthlessly made to work them as slaves. And then, as if that was not enough, I would say, then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom named Shiphrah and the other named Pu'ah. When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women, see them on the burst and see them on the burst stool. If it's a sign, you will, you should kill them. If it's a daughter, she'll live But the midwives feared God They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them But they let the male children live So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them Why have you done this? And let the male children live And the midwives said Because the Hebrew women are not, not like the Egyptian women They are vigorous and give birth before us Before the midwife comes to them So God dealt with the midwives And multiplied And the people multiplied and grew very strong and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all of his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast in the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Well, how's that preventative leading? Up to the point that this new Pharaoh comes in, there's zero conflict between God, God's people who live as shepherds on the edge of town and the Egyptians. There's none. There's no reason to think that they would rise up to them. The relations weren't bad. There was nothing out there for it. But preventative leading had provocative actions. Well, I'm afraid of this random possibility. Therefore, let's bubble wrap ourselves. Therefore, let's make sure there's distance between us. Man, if if you're afraid of of something happening. We don't intend our actions to provoke. But it's amazing how they provoke, isn't it? Here's Pharaoh saying, we don't want them to multiply. We don't want to raise up arms. We don't want them to overcome us and leave. So we have to have a wise plan. Let's make them hate us. Let's make them angry at us. Let's make their lives bitter and hard for no reason except my fear. What they actually did was they made their fear more likely... and some might even say more reasonable. You see, Mom and Dad, I think when you and I focus our parenting, our leading our home, leading our lives... Being afraid of what could happen to our child in the next election, what could happen to our child when they go to school, what could happen if we let our child fill in a blank, what could happen if I if I blank with what could happen? Then what um, what's amazing is we start creating concoctions that are not from the Lord. We just bathe them in God language, and they actually start as provocation. Listen, my children have grown up in the church. I would bet 50 cents that my two kids have spent time in church buildings more than yours. Is that fair? If not, you should ask me what I do with my time, right? Like They've been here all the time. I've worked as a student pastor for 10 years, as I've been pastoring ever since. Let me tell you what I have heard most often as the, a great fear in the church I'm afraid of my child growing up not liking church, so I. I'm afraid of my child not growing up and not liking church, so I. I would tell you that's the the most the most fearful often comment that I've heard as a pastor and a student minister. And so what goes through your mind in this process is, I don't want them to hate church, so I will keep them from yada, church. I'll keep them from knowing how good God is. I'll keep them from knowing how important community is. I'll, I, I, I want to make it easy on them, so I'm not go- I don't want them to have to yada, no. listen eventually church when we let fear make those decisions if we bring that before god he will bring clarity but most of the time we don't bring our thoughts before god because fear has proven controlling over us it's proven its way out in us and all of a sudden we see this i don't want my child to be in church i don't want them to like church to not like church so I'm gonna let them find their own way and so what happens is unintentionally we provoke the very outcome into reasonable possibility from unreasonable I will tell you as a pastor who've watched people grow up in church not every pastor's kids like church there were many days my kids didn't like coming up to church with me church at 10 o'clock to fill the baptistry with all the lights out is the scariest place in town y'all but here's what I've noticed Christy and I our intentionality has been different than what we have seen and we had to learn those who kept apologizing to their kids that they had to be at church that dad has to be with this family because they're sick I'm sorry but mom has to go those who said I hate it too honey their kids tend to despise and hate church Because fear says, you know what, we're all stuck in this boat. It's a true statement. And I'll flip side this before we get to the end. What we have done is we've shown our kids, where else would you want to be? When you're having a really hard day, don't you want your pastor to be there to love you? Let's pray for dad as he goes out, let's ask dad how it went. Hey, let's go up to the church and put your toes in. When the water hits your toes, the baptistry's full. Yell out something fun. See, fear doesn't think proactively, fear thinks provocatively. And all of its outcomes unintentionally are that way. I'm not talking about keeping your children from sin, there's a difference, church between being a parent who's parenting out of man-centered fear and a parent who's parenting out of ignorance. God doesn't call you to parent out of ignorance. God doesn't call you to love your wife out of ignorance. That's not what he tells you to do. He says count the toss. Don't be in ignorance. Zeal without knowledge. Don't do it. But just be careful that decisions you make lead your family to the throne of Jesus and aren't trying to lead them from the enemy who has no hope of victory in this world because preventative thinking that's centered on man-centered things to guard against to be afraid of it acts in a provocative way and at the end it's pointless it's pointless i mean pharaoh found it out verse twelve. But the more they were oppressed, the more they were multiplied, the more they spread abroad, uh, the more the Egyptians were afraid. They didn't have fear until he provoked it. And now they have real fear. Because not only have these people multiplied, what have they started to do? They've started to spread. They started to take over the land a little bit. Something that used to be yours now is going to them. Resources that were yours now go to them. Verse 20. So God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied. They grew strong. This was what Pharaoh was afraid of. Because the midwives feared God, he gave them family. Literally, Pharaoh got zero of the fruit that he hoped for zero. But he got everything he worked for. Is that the example that you want as you lead your family, as you lead your household, as you love your wife, as you navigate a broken, sinful, crazy world as a parent? No. So what is the answer? I mean, it's basic and wonderful. God-centered fear is life-giving for your household. Man-centered fear is a catastrophe, but God-centered fear is life-giving. And I know what you're thinking, right? Like, perfect love casts out fear. There's no reason to be afraid of God. Listen, 1 John chapter 4, like, it's, it's good stuff. On the day of judgment, because you are in perfect love with God, you don't need to be afraid of Him or anything or anyone because you're His and you're with Him. Do you know when Scripture talks about you and I fearing the lord we he's not saying that you should be afraid to hold his hand to follow his lead to run hard after him the only reason you and i should have any kind of fear of the lord is in rebellion and if you're his you don't even need complete fear like the world does because what's coming for you is discipline and that discipline is not meant to destroy you it's meant to lead you back to him but it's not fun you see When we fear God, it's not being afraid. It means your thoughts are reverent, not preventative. Listen to what the Bible says. Just in verse 17 and 21, the Bible says this. But the midwives feared God and... Did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the children live. Verse 21 the blessing, and the midwives feared God, and he gave them families. Church, God is the king of kings and the lord of lords, the creator of the universe. He holds the universe in in his hands, and he measures everything that you can't fathom right here. He is grand and awesome, he is mighty and phenomenal. At his footsteps, the world would shake. He's worthy to be revered. And if you want to lead your home in a way that is worthy of him, then your thoughts should be reverent. God, you are awesome, you are holy, you are mighty if no weapon formed against us shall prosper because of you Lord can I lay every fear before you and and revere you so much that I won't move without you because I believe you won't let me down that's reverence that's what these women say Pharaoh was afraid of something that wasn't yet but these two women stand up to arguably the most powerful king on the face of the planet and they are not afraid they aren't concerned why because their mind is caught up with god almighty church financial threats are coming your way persecution is coming your way a bully on a bus is coming your kid's way People are not going to like you. They're not going to want to know you. They're going to say false things about you. Here's what I want you to know. Your child, your home is being built up in a broken, fallen, sinful world where dominion for a season has been given over to a degree to this prince who, who thinks he's running the show because God is patient. See, I want you to hear like Jesus isn't saying these things won't happen. In fact, he's saying they will. John 16, verse 33, the words of Jesus Christ. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world if you want your your wife and your children your husband if you want them to navigate this world for the glory of God then you revere God yourself don't speak jesus and live for the enemy don't speak his name lifted high and live for yourself you revere him with your life and with your breath and when you revere him guess what happens to your actions they reflect him that's what happens and i love this at first grade this is one of my favorite times because every child right from like first grade through about fourth grade maybe fifth grade they want to be their mom and dad like, that, that's what it is. I mean, it, it's a beautiful season of mimicking. Like, I really love it. This molding phase of preschool ends, right? It's, you've done a lot of hard work. You've been teaching them forming them. But now you're in this mimicking phase. What, what the Bible says is, we don't ever grow out of this. When it comes to God, let your actions reflect your reverence for him. The midwives said they fear God and they revered him. And so they didn't do what the king said they weren't willing to move outside of his will, his will it's so dramatically different from parenting from a man-centered place saying god i will not lead i will not love my family outside of you there's two journal entries i want to read to you today the first one is this god-centered fear says all my trust is in you lord It says, I won't move without you. It says, you won't fail me. It says, I will seek you first. Your will, your plans. I will trust you with my daily bread. I won't get out in front of you and I won't fall back. What would happen in your home, in your family, in your children, if every decision we made reflected a reverence for God that was so incredible, not distant but personal. It says, God, there is no one in the whole of creation that loves my kids more than you, that loves my wife more than you, that loves my husband more than you. And so if my love for them is sincere— then I want everything they hear from my lips, everything they see my hands do, everything they see, everywhere they see my feet go, I want it to reek of you. There's nothing to be afraid of because God is who he says he is. And the produce of that is a family that thrives. Look in your Bible in verse 20. So God dealt with the midwives And the people multiplied and grew very strong because the midwives feared God. He gave them families. I challenge you to read through the Bible, Genesis, the Revelation, and see what God says for those who fear him and live in a way that reflects him. The outcome is always thriving always even in persecution it's thriving even in financial failure it's thriving even when the world is coming at you it's thriving this is what i wrote this is what i want for my family i want their lives that their lives are sweet with the fruit of the lord the Lord Almighty, that others see their good works and glorify their Father in heaven, that they never grow weary of doing good, but reap the harvest God has in store for them, that they are strong in the Lord, and that their faith multiplies like a mustard seed, and that they live life unstained by the world, not in it, but of it. Why can I trust that that is good fruit? Because all of the words are His. All of the words belong to the Lord Almighty. That's what a thriving life looks like. There's been proving in our home this whole time. We've seen the fruit grow. But, but we now get to, to say, God, we trust. We trust in you. We trust. We, we're, we're afraid to trust anyone else because the fruit has been sour and we've seen it we've tasted it we've experienced it we have fallen in it the, the things of this world they rise up and they make us want to prevent sin with a man-made stiff arm and golly lord that has provoked it has provoked the sin which i have wanted to hold back I don't want it. I don't want that fruit. I don't want it in my life. I don't want it in your life, and I surely don't want it in my children and the homes that they start off. So, God, what can we do? Fully trust in Him. Period. And you may be singing, Pastor. I'm further out than you are. I, I wish I would have would have done this younger. This is the best time to plant an oak tree. Second best time, right now. You can't go back. But right here and right now, you can say, God, I want to hold you in such high esteem that my actions will reflect Jesus, Jesus, only Jesus. And you let Him be in charge of the produce. You let Him put the fruit on that tree. And you give Him all the glory for it. So whether your child is bumped up into first grade for the first time, whether your child has long gone from home, it doesn't change a thing. He is still worthy to be feared. And that's all that matters. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, we thank you for the grace and the life and the love that you have for us. Lord, you want more for us than we can That's so impossible sometimes to fathom. Or because I know what I want for my bride and for my home and for my children. But the reality is, God, there are times when we make decisions to protect what is not real. And when we do that, we open the door to the fear of, that we were trying to avoid. So God, let us be a church that sets our mind and heart on you and that reflects you in our life. God, I pray for the families in this room. But I don't know what habits they have in their home. I don't know what holes they're in right now. But it doesn't matter what I know. Because their fear is not man-centric and their trust isn't man-centric. You know. So God, in this moment, in this time, would you open the door? Would you show us your glory, God? Not that we are worthy, but just because you've told us to seek and ask and you've promised that we'll find. So Lord, let us leave homes that reflect your glory. If there's a man or woman in this room that doesn't know you, God, 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 right here and right now, I pray that you would allow them, Lord, to seek you. Not so their home could be happy, so that their life could be saved for all eternity. So they may taste the fruit they've only imagined and it's better. Lord, we love you.